Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everyone, before we jump into the podcast, just wanted to say a quick hello. Uh, This podcast um, actually ran a little bit long, so I actually had it cut off after an hour, and then I picked right back up for a closing segment. So just wanted to let you know that ahead of time. Thanks everyone for listening, and if you enjoy this, please share it. Have a great day. All right, we are recording now, and once again, this is Ryan Bradshaw. Uh, coming to you from the campus of Wayne Community College. And this is the 200th episode of what we talked about in class. Um, It's a podcast that I developed in order to help share course content with my students. That was the goal. And I just did get some uh, data from Spotify. They sent out a yearly recap to tell you kind of where you're at. And according to Spotify, this podcast has been downloaded over 5,000 times. It's been listened to in over 34 countries, and my listeners and streamers are both up over 200% this year. So it's a modest start, but um, I like the fact that it's being picked up beyond the classroom, and it's more of a global classroom uh, concept. And so anybody that really wants to learn about business topics, I teach you know ethics, management, leadership, uh, can can jump into these podcasts and hear exactly what we talk about in class. Now, this episode is special because it's the 200th episode, and I wanted to invite my good friend and colleague, Bill Raboli, back to the uh, podcast because he was with us for the 100th episode. And Bill and I have been friends for over 10 years now, and we always have great dialogues about timely topics. And the topic that we wanted to talk about this time was about the future. So, Bill... Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thank you, Ryan. It's good to be here. And so the homework assignment that Bill and I kind of decided what we wanted to talk about, last time we talked about kind of things that were happening in the world with COVID because that was a new phenomenon. And uh, we we like to talk about uh, the kind of world events, sociology, things like that. And the future is is a good place to live because um, I think a lot of people view the future as uh, have an optimistic view for it. At least I hope they do. And so Bill and I wanted to take a few minutes to share with you kind of our thoughts on the future. And Bill, do you want to kick it off or you don't want me to kind of kick it off? Okay, I'll be glad to kind of put it in a framework. Go for it. Okay, so, you know, what we're just going to discuss is kind of, you know, where we all started, of course, in the beginnings was an agrarian society where we all kind of took care of each other and fed ourselves and um, through, you know, developing food and, and uh, uh, corralling livestock. And then, of course, we moved to the uh, Industrial Revolution, where everybody moved from farms into cities. And then we went into the Information Age. And uh, that's where kind of where we're at now. However, what's the next phase we go into beyond technology? Um, and that's where I think we need to kind of think about, you know, uh, this is uh, the, from industrial to technology was a very kind of short leap, only less than a century or a century or so uh, to where now 
the advances in technology happen so quickly that we're going to emerge into another, um, I guess, a paradigm Correct. beyond information technology. Uh, it will be antiquated at some point in time. And so what's next? That's so the question. That You know, I actually... As I told you before we began, I didn't do a lot of pre-work on this one, but I did talk to my students about it, and I told them that we were going to do this recording and talk about the future, and the way I framed it for them was, um, if you think about 100 years ago, 1921, when you think about the way people lived and the, the stereotype you have of that era, you see people, you know, Model T cars, uh, horse and buggy, um, widespread poverty. I mean, we have poverty today, but it's uh, even more prevalence in in that era. And people lived, you know, on very modest budgets and, and, and really had very little material wealth. To today, 100 years later, we really have a lot of abundance, you know. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there is a, a gap in this country and there is uh, a, a divide between the haves and the have-nots. And there are people that, that slip through the cracks and don't have the same resources as a lot of people have. But for, from a societal standpoint, most people have their basic needs met on a daily basis. And then I, I asked my students to leap forward to 2121, 100 years from now, what is society going to look like and how are they going to view the way we lived? And just to go a little bit further before I turn it back over to you, I think that our society in 2121 is going to look at us that we were antiquated and they will be surprised at how we lived and kind of shocked. Um, I have a joke that I, I it's, it's not really a good joke. It's more of a dad joke that I tell about, uh, hey, grandpa, what's an iPhone? Because I think my grandkids will ask me, hey, grandpa, what was an iPhone? Tell me about it. That's That's weird that you had this glass brick that you carried around your pocket, you know? And so, yeah, and the way that I think about supercomputers from the 60s that took up an entire room, you know? And I know you've told me you used to use floppy disks to operate computers and things like that. So, you know, I just think in the next 100 years, people will look at the way we lived and really be blown away by how primitive we are. And it's very humbling to think about the future in those terms to realize how much you don't know and how far are we yet to go? I believe there'll be a future where we develop technology to pretty much do the work as we as we call work today, the labors that we we have today. And our goal should be as humanity for humanity to work on improvement of the species. Uh, how can we eliminate disease? How can we eliminate poverty? How can we eliminate hunger? Um, these are the true challenges of humanity, how do we fix the climate issues that are, that are present? And so those really should be the, the goals of humanity beyond this tribalism and really primitive way that we exist now uh, in comparison to what I believe the future will hold. So bounce off of that, my friend. Okay, well, I agree with you that um, 100 years from now in 2121, we will be considered somewhat barbaric. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, I think uh, uh, that um, uh, I agree. Uh, but, I, but I also know that we don't have the words yet to describe the future. They haven't been, those have not been embedded yet. Just as um, 
I can go back to my childhood. And if you ask me what an iPhone was or what a text was or what a computer was, um, the first computer I ever witnessed was my senior year in high school, which was one of those cards with the holes in it. And all you could program was X, X's, O's, and S's, I think. Right. And the best you could do was make a, a, like a happy face picture, you know, a smiley face picture with it. And, and you'd have to program in. It would take you days, and if not weeks, to program in a, a, a program. And then it would print it up for you. And uh, it was amazing. But only one kid in our school was allowed to touch the computer at that huh. time. <laughs> and uh, um, so, um, you know, where we go from here um, is, uh, like I said, we don't yet have the vocabulary to really uh, describe it. Um, just as if you um, want to think of an advanced intelligence in the, in the space, you know, we describe it in the words we have. However, their words are di much different than ours. You know, we describe something as a light in the sky. Uh, it's probably not a light in the sky. It's probably um, an illumination of something we're not even familiar with. Um, and nor can we describe it in the correct terms um, to make it real. Uh, and I think that's going to be our problem. Well, so to bounce off what you just said, you know, if you ask me in 1985, what is an iPhone? What is digital music? What is the Internet? Uh, what is email? These things would be foreign to me, you know, and I would not know exactly what you were talking about. I remember my first computer was an IBM PS2, and I believe it had 256 kilobytes of RAM. Uh, by comparison, I think my iPhone has 8 gigabytes of RAM, so it is literally hundreds and hundreds of times faster in processing power. And so as Moore's Law states, we will double our capacity to process information every 18 to 24 months. That leaps forward all of technology uh, exponentially over decades. And so I believe uh, I read a, a book by Jeff Booth called the, the Price of Tomorrow. And he talks about how in the next 10 years, we're going to see 100 years worth of innovation. And you're going to see things that, as you said, we, can't even, we don't even have the vocabulary to describe what it's going to look like and how it's going to be. We can speculate. But, uh, you know, if you'd asked me, like prior to the iPhone coming out, I mean, we were all just mystified by this new miracle smartphone device. And now there's literally almost hundreds of millions of them sold every year. And so they're everywhere and such an essential part of what we do. Uh, as teachers, I know some of us panic when the overhead projector breaks down or we lose the Internet. And then you have to remember, oh, I can actually use chalk or dry erase marker to teach or just use a lecture. And so we are so interdependent on technology now. Uh, and I just I think the future will create an atmosphere where we're even more dependent on technology to to leverage our, our daily activities. Um, as an example, and we'll kind of uh, I'm going to just kind of throw some topics out there that we can kind of dive down. But, you know, I know you're not a big movie and TV buff that, that I am. I have a lot of subscription services, but uh, I believe the future in the future, people won't actually own cars as much. And that's a normal thing for people to do now, to own a car. You know, this is my car, I own this car. I believe in the future you'll have a subscription service to a car service. And, and there'll be a competitor out there that'll say, we're launching a subscription car service model. And you will either subscribe at a flat rate for usage or 
you will uh, pay your per usage uh, rates and it will be a completely autonomous vehicle and you will go in and schedule the times that you need that vehicle to pick you up or you can just pick up one that's sitting standby on the street and sit in the back of it and that car will take you where you need to go and it will go to the school autonomously and pick up your kids for you and bring them back home. It will go to the grocery store and a worker there will put your groceries in the back seat and it will bring those groceries back home to you. And so that is one innovation I see happening in my lifetime. Probably in the next 10 to 20 years, you'll have autonomous cars driving around, taking people and products all over the place. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I agree with you, but I think that's going to occur sooner than 100 years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, next decade, I think. Yeah, and, and I think um, I think an automobile will be obsolete at some point in time. Uh, there'll be, I think they'll invent other transporting devices. Right. Um, you know, um, you know. I look back at Star Trek, and I'm just amazed at how many things have run true to that. Right. Uh, and that you know, can we teleport? Um, is that a possibility? Um, and I think in 50 years, yes, we're going to have that subscription service. We won't own a car. It'll be right. too, too, too barbaric. And, <laughs> and there probably won't be any cars. Um, well, if it, yeah, if you not interrupt you, but if you think about it now, it is kind of almost barbaric to think that we give this, this incredibly powerful machine to just anybody and say, go, you know, and, uh, it's one of the most dangerous things you do in your daily life is drive a car, you know, to be on a road. It's not that you have to account for your actions, which you do, but you have to account for every other driver's actions. And so it's a very dangerous scenario. And I actually did a poll in my classroom. I asked how many of you today would get into a self-driving car if it was sitting outside the door. And surprisingly, a few said they would, but the majority said they would not. Uh, And so it's going to be a scary transition. Anytime change happens, it's scary. And so um, we're going to have to get over that hump, and there will be accidents. You know, we have plane accidents today. People still fly. But the thing about accidents with a self-driving car is they will be a thousand times more rare than a human driver. You know, I think, I don't want to, I'm probably going to get butchered on this statistic, but I think I read somewhere that there's approximately 16,000 automobile accidents every day in the United States. We would go from 16,000 a day to 16 a year, probably, or something something insane like that, you know, yeah. uh, as a, you know, it would be just, there would still be accidents, but it would be very few and far between. And so statistically, you would be much, much safer in an autonomous drive, car that is never going to get tired, it's never going to text and drive, and it's always going to look out for anything on the road that's coming. It's going to have technology available to it that the human just doesn't have. And so... Um, as far as other innovations, um, I do think the iPhone or the smartphone is going to be a dinosaur at some point. I don't know when, when that life cycle is going to run out, but eventually people are going to say the idea of carrying around or lugging around the smartphone, you know, I don't know if people are going to wear a ring or a watch or uh, even go so far as to have some type of implant. I know that's very taboo and scary. Uh, but uh, it could feasibly happen. It, it has it, the technology already exists, and so what do you think about what could be the next evolution of, of the smartphone? Well, actually, excuse me. I think um, um, we're still thinking in, in all words we can describe it in. Okay. I think we're going to. I think we we will each have a personal assistant um, of some form. 
uh, like you said, either, you know, the size of a uh, flash drive or something that we we have with us that it integrates with us and our personal needs. So all we'll have to do is think about something and um, it will it will happen if we if we if we want it to, because um, I think the integration with the brain is probably the next step. Um, and like you said, with implants, we, I was teaching this morning on, um, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm having a senior moment. It's, okay. it's a, um, um, it's an implant in the brain that controls emotions. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and I think that type of technology, uh, we're going to be able to tap into it. We'll know more about the brain, the body. Uh, how it and how to make it last longer. Um, we'll still have some depriving uh, behaviors of people, but um, I think we're going to be integrated with, like I said, that personal assistant. And I think it's going to go beyond rings or eyeglasses and actually a um, a form that we have in our hand, a, a, a an object. Um, I think it's going to go to more mindful. And, um, you know, computers will be what we're talking on now and what we're doing now is just totally barbaric. Whereas if we, if we want to communicate with somebody, it's going to be on a, um, uh, and I'm like, I say, I don't think telepathic would be the word, but on a, um, a different, uh, platform. You'll be able to send thought signals is what you're talking about to people. To some degree. And I think it's like my assistant will communicate with your assistant. Mm-hmm. when I want it to. This is an artificial intelligence, a digital assistant? There, yeah. yeah, I think that's, this is where that development is going to come from is through the artificial intelligence is how we, um, they're going to, it's going to change our world and and it's going to change rapidly. You know, we you, you talked about things changing really quick in the next decade. Well, if you took 100 years, um, it's almost hard to fathom well, where we Hypothetically, society, the world, humanity could be in a very different place in 100 years than we are now. I mean, we could take a giant quantum leap forward as far as, I mean, I grew up, you mentioned Star Trek. I grew up with Star Trek, The Next Generation. I even have a poster of Picard and the crew in my office. So you could say I'm a pretty diehard Star Trek fan. But I I was drawn to Star Trek for a lot of reasons as a kid, and um, I remember watching it. Fox 50 in my bedroom as a child. I had a, a 19-inch CRT TV, and for the kids listening, you don't even know what that is. So <laughs> I asked my students this week, do you, does anybody know what the Dewey Decimal System is? Nobody knew what the Dewey Decimal System is. So and for those of you that don't know, that was the way we organized libraries before the Internet. And so, but some of the things that stood out to me about Star Trek was in the 24th century, we have grown beyond... Uh, materialism we we recognize that materialism is shallow and that our real effort our real goals should be to improve humanity and so everybody in that in that fictional universe works to better themselves and works to better better others um and of course there's some villains in the story you know it wouldn't be a good story without it but for the most part uh these people they study science they study medicine they study history and they become experts in their respective field, and uh, we we focus on eliminating things like disease, poverty, and hunger. 
Um, and, you know, I talked about abundance now in, in comparison to the 19th century or the 20th century, uh, 1921. But we still have significant problems in our communities. Um, I'm connected to several communities around Wayne County uh, in my work with Society of St. Andrew. And hunger is a real issue. Poverty is a real issue. And it saddens me to think that even with all our abundance, there's still people that are left behind in our society. And we need to get to a point where uh, we have evolved enough to be inclusive of everybody and treat everybody as human beings and get everybody uh, to a point where they have those needs met. Uh, because I think that's when we do take the, the quantum leap forward is when everybody can have the comfort of knowing that they, they have the human right to eat the human right to have uh, like access to medicine and things like that. And so um, that, that was really appealing to me uh, from the Star Trek universe. And um, there was, a, just like a lot of shows from that era, there were moral lessons to be learned in watching the stuff. Another great show is Andy Griffith's show from the 60s. And, you know, there was always a lesson to be learned in, the, in those series. And so... Uh, that's kind of shaped my worldview as, I, as I've continued to learn. I always go back to those early examples and say, you know, and, and so in looking at those things, let's, let's kind of change the, the dynamic a little bit and talk about how do you think... Let me, go, I, go. Yeah, bounce off of that. Let me, let me jump in on one thing before we move go. on. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned, you know, food deprivation. Yeah. And, and I actually think that um, through the development of synthetic foods... We can, we can eliminate having to rely on weather for crops, uh, for providing food for people. Sure. And, if, you know, um, and I think the development of foods, as we even do now, you can, you, can, you can have things that taste a certain way. And like you said on Star Trek, you know, hit the button huh. and there's your, there's your food. Right. Uh, I watched one the other day and out came chicken noodle soup. There you go. Uh, uh, because they intercepted a uh, Air Force guy in the 1960s in the air, and uh, he came on, and um, one of the guys asked if what he wanted, and uh, he said, "You got chicken noodle soup," and he hit the button, and there it was. And I think with synthetics today, we can we can we can make things that are not necessarily natural, and so I think in the future, uh, a lot of our food byproducts and things like that are going to be synthetics that uh, are developed in a laboratory in a much smaller, you know, you can produce enough food for an entire nation. So I think um, that's going to be a, a big development coming up to to deal with any food shortages. And um, As long as we're not talking so, about Soylent Green, right? Exactly. No, no Soylent Green. And for my students that haven't, haven't uh, don't get the Soylent Green reference, just Google Soylent Green and you will learn what that reference means. Um, but that is a great tie-in or segue to the next thing I want to talk about, which is uh, cost and risk. So, you know, I have a idealistic view of the future. I think that AI could be a part of the solution to um, helping humanity solve some of these challenging problems because when you have computers that can think faster uh, and, and perform faster than humans, the machines can come up with solutions to our problems that we haven't thought of. And they can figure out more efficient ways to generate energy, more efficient ways to deal with waste. And they can invent things that we don't know we need yet, those types of things. But um, with all that being said, a lot of science fiction has a dystopian theme in it. And so just like when you were talking a while ago about 
I like implants that you can send thoughts to each other and we wouldn't necessarily have to speak. We could just think and communicate with the other, the other that way. What do you think some costs or risk are in the future for humanity with regards to technology? Well, as it is today, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Right. Um, and so it's going to, I think everything can be a dichotomous situation where you're going to have good and bad. If you want this, you know, you know, the, the problems we'll have with synthetic food, for example, we'll start, we have the food, but is it nutritious? Does it provide what we need uh, to survive as a human being? Um, and I think there's always going to be that, you know, A&I, especially under control is probably a really good thing. Out of control is going to be a very terrible thing. You know, in my lifetime, I've seen the world atlas change from country to country. If we if we get into a set area where war is gone, you know, um, conflict is, is minimized, that we don't evolve anymore. And that's, you know, um, that's when I think um, the worry is humans become useless where teaching teaching could be done <clears throat> strictly through a computer program um you could actually enhance it to where you know you make sure that that person is there at the computer like right even right now i can't tell you that all my classes in the online classes that those students are sitting behind that computer listening and watching it could be uh, we were talking about that um, the other day. You know, it could be somebody else. Like, for example, just and this is just something my wife and I kind of had fun with. And I told her, I said, one day I said, you know, you ought to go online and get your degree. I said, heck, I can write your papers. I can, huh. you know, I know all this information, you know, already. Uh, you know, I can write you a doctoral level paper if, you know, for your for your uh, literature class that would blow away. I can, I can write a 10-page paper with 25 references at a college-level um, writing that would get you right through. And I think that the anonymity of the computer is that problem. Mm -hmm. And and we were just joking about that. There's nothing we would We don't condone that behavior. No. But, like I said, how do I know you're sitting there in my class? You know, um, not everybody shows their pictures. You know that as well as I do. And I've talked to other instructors and, and some were reluctant. My eight o'clock class, they, you know, I'll say, well, let's see you in there. Well, I haven't done my hair yet and I'm still in bed with my computer, you know, and I don't want to see somebody in their bed right. during class. You know? um, but that's supposed to be that good side of the computer is you can take classes anytime, anywhere you want to. Um, you know, um, so in the future, I think the technology will let us know, for instance, if you're there or I'm there, um, and monitor kind of all our behaviors. And that's the other bad side is, you know, you go back to George Orwell's 1984 and thought police. Right. Um, if we are communicating, can the communications be, um, uh, hijacked right. by a third party and um you know and that goes to everything that the problem with the computer is you know my my bank accounts my things like that can be hijacked fairly easily um so in the future 
those good things that happen can also be hijacked by a third party with no not good intentions and so i think um and but i think like education is going to go to where um, i think teachers will be pretty much obsolete eventually which is terrible because you mentioned the dewey decibel system and with john dewey you know they're kind of a founder of education in our in america that you know he felt that education was more of a relationship between teacher and student and not so much the materials you know at our, where we're teaching now you know kids take history and psychology and sociology and art and music and business and all these other classes um to form a foundation of learning and i, and I think people might miss out on that because you know you remember teachers you've had that influenced you as a teacher yes. you know i teach out of the style from a mix of all the teachers i've ever had in my life and if we miss that how do we um education is more than just content it is in my opinion and i think um one of the downsides is we we might get away from that as we are with relationships you know having a relationship online with somebody that you've never seen never personally talked to and um you miss all the nuances of the nonverbal. that's really uh growing up to me that was the crux of sitting next to a girl and her hand being there and my hand being there <laughs> and am i am i gonna reach out and grab her hand and you know what i mean right and now now we're texting and it's animate anonymity makes it where we can be bold because if we if we lose it it's not that much of a loss right you know we you know and um uh, i don't know i think it's a human quality we're going to really lose lose out on you know you actually in the past few minutes have brought up three topics that i, I grabbed onto and i want to in short order try to address all three of those i, I might really butcher it but starting off with education um i think you're 100 right you know like I see a future where the idea of all my students having to come to a physical classroom when we can stay in the comfort, safety, and convenience of our home and have a holographic or other type of representation there, I can you know, record a lecture and they can infinitely watch that over and over again and I don't have to physically be there or I could have a lab where I answer questions based on lectures that students watch and they go through a regiment of education that has been pre-prescribed to meet their specific learning style and need. So I think the diagnostics of education are again a lot better in the next decade. Where And this is something that I'm going to advocate for as my career progresses is we need to have more uh, individualized education plans. I know this is something we do in K-12. I don't think we do as good a job of it in uh, the college setting where we identify you know, better and better people's learning styles and try to ta uh, tailor our educational approach to that individual as an individual. So um, I, I see education going through dynamic changes in the next century, uh, definitely in the next 10 years. Uh, but you also mentioned education creates lenses. Um, and these are, what I mean by that is, and, I, and I've talked about my, to my students about this, is that every subject that you learn, everything that you learn gives you a new lens by which to view the world. You have a worldview that is constructed of content and information that has constructed you as an individual and creates a worldview 
by which you can um, look through and evaluate the world. And so I don't want, that's an intangible that I don't want students to lose because of technology. Um, you talked about relationships. And so uh, relationships are complicated enough without technology being a barrier. The technology does bring people together, but it also separates people. Because instead of going to visit my aunt in Fayetteville, which I miss you, if I, I shout out to my aunt Betty Blue for Christmas. If you, if I haven't, I don't see you before, but I am planning to see you on the 18th. So, but anyway, um, it, but I could easily post a picture of me and my family on Facebook and tag her in it, and that is a representation of a connection versus sitting down in front of somebody and having that one-on-one -on -one eye contact, physical sharing the same physical space. These are intangibles that humanity has shared for millennia and we can't get away from that even no matter what technology is doing for us um, the thing that you did mention also that you didn't really dive deep into is war and um, I told my students um, you know we have some issues with Russia right now we don't really talk about geopolitics that much in my classes but um, students do ask questions and we do talk about a variety of things but I said you know in my opinion it's not advantageous for any country to engage in a kinetic war like we did last century. You know, last century, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, these were mass casualty events, and they scarred generations. And no country uh, wants to go through that. You know, it's, it's, it's brutal for any generation, any country to go through those things. And so my belief is that the, the next century, there will still be warfare but it's going to take place on a digital landscape. There will be information wars and there will be financial wars. And th this is the next level of geopolitics is trying to win the information war and trying to win the financial footing in the world. And China is actually trying to do that right now. And so uh, we could live in a century where they become the, the dominant superpower with the reserve country being a Chinese dollar versus the U.S. dollar. So... Um, these are all interesting things that could develop. So what say you on that topic? Well, I want to I want to ask you what you think about um, because we're looking at it from an American perspective. Correct. And we're in a developed country. And but you have other countries that are developing. Then you have other countries that are third world countries right. that are still killing each other with machetes. Right. Um and so uh, I wonder how those people in those third world countries would would be used, sort of say, um, uh, in a situation where, you know, warfare, because a lot of people fight in other people's lands for things. You know, I think that's one thing that's come out of Afghanistan is I heard an Afghan say, well, you know, whether it's Russia, whether it's America, whether it's Iran or whether it's anybody around us, they like to use our, our country as their staging, you know, to, to bring their wars. Um, and um, so my, my concerns would be for those third world countries that are, you know, you have people that are not up to date. And how are they going to survive in this next? They're still in the agrarian society. And so how do they progress as well? Um I agree that it's going to be the, the, the fight over the technology is going to be the key thing, cyber war. Um, and that's going to be um, 
uh, a really test for the world itself. And I think we'll see more conglomerates um, where uh, you have, uh, it might be, the world might be split into four nations, you know, um, and uh, everybody's pooled everything together. It's kind of like what we do with Bitcoin. We pool. And um, I think in the future, you're going to see that between countries. You know, NATO is very kind of archaic kind of entity. But um, but I think as nations come together, they'll pool resources and they'll pool together um, and come under one big umbrella. Um, so there might be four or five of these umbrellas across the entire world. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and I, I want to bring this out is that sure. one thing when I look at the future, when I look at the future impact on a human being, that we have five senses, right? Yes. And we interpret the world through our five senses. I think you have six senses. So, Go ahead. Oh, excuse me, six senses. I'm sorry. Six, six for you, five. maybe seven. I don't know. Um, Go ahead. Now, uh, well, the sixth sense is the um, the the intuition. The intuition, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that hasn't really developed too much. But our five sensory inputs, you know, the visual, the, the auditory, the olfactory, the, your taste and your your feeling, your kinesthetics. Um, those five senses is how we interpret our world, pretty much. And um, what I'm afraid is we're going to deprive some of those senses through in the future um, because of, um, um, I don't know, it could be something as simple as a COVID outbreak where we all lose our sense of taste and smell. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, um, and, um, uh, and I think that's another thing we need to look at is germ warfare. You know, yeah. I don't think we're going to die from an asteroid. I don't think we're going to die from catastrophic climate change. We're going to die from a little tiny microorganism that's going to, you know, um, figure us out and take us out eventually. Yeah. Um, and that's a continued continuation of mutations that's happened throughout the world. We've, you know, right now we're at a point with this pandemic where it's really almost really an endemic where it's in our it's in our society right. and it's probably not going to go. And we have to live with a certain level of, um, uh, of caution uh, and preparedness. Fear. Yeah, exactly. And um, so it's, um, uh, but, uh, and I think in war, that could be an agent in war, right? To 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 dummy down people or to put people in a situation where they can't function. Um, you know, we've heard of some of these uh, attacks on people that. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's kind of going off the fringe, I guess, but those people that, um, in the Philippines who, who had a, um, some type of event that occurred that affected their brains, um, and they're still having problems. I don't know if you're aware of that. Right. Uh, I think it, you know, and it was a accusation that China had done something and it's kind of like a, not a smart bomb, but like, like a sonic, those, like sonic a, weapon or something like this, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we know it affects whales and, and other organisms in the ocean when you have sonar. Right. Um, but what is that? What could be put out here for us to to debilitate us? Um, yeah, I think um, 
and, and I hope it doesn't go to the future and bring Star Trek back into it to the episode where the two colonies, two, two planets, and there was no more war. However, it was all done on the computer. Yeah. So every, every so often, a certain percentage of the population had to be uh, extinguished. Right. To, it's like a big chess game. You know, you lose, sure. you know, 100,000 people. So you have to eliminate 100,000 people from your population. Um, and that goes under, and that goes to another subject about the future. In 1961, we had three million, three billion people on this planet. Okay, so that's what um, 40, 50 years ago. Yep. So 50 years from now, now we have what seven, right now, seven billion, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So 50 years from now, it'll it'll be the, it could be 14 billion, something like that. Or fifteen right. million, something There's like that, or more. And and we we only occupy occupy twenty percent of the earth. Yeah. Uh, so is it going to come to a soil and green situation? Well, you uh, know, I, you, as you were talking, you actually brought up four books to my mind. Um, for the <laughs> students that don't know, I'm a I'm an avid book fan. I read as much as I can, um, and I actually have read quite a few books over the course of my life. But um, I'm going to just throw out the titles of these four books: so The Hunger Games. Uh, Ender's Game, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and Factfulness. And so I'm going to work backwards. Uh, Factfulness came to mind because Bill was talking about population. And actually, there's some statistics in Factfulness, the book, that talks about world population. I'm not going to pull it up right now. But it's not going to get as big as we think because of um, the aging population. And you can't live but so long. And so as we have more population, we'll also have more older population and so uh, they will kind of uh, plateau at a certain point. At least that's what the, the statistics in the book predict. Um, but The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is the next book that came to mind because there's so much disinformation out there on the Internet. And something Bill said made me think of this um, is that, you know, people, we have information wars. That's what made me think about it right now. And you're seeing information being manipulated. It's, it's almost like, um, we, we did disinformation in, in previous in wars of the previous century where we would do counterintelligence to throw off the enemy. And you see this manifesting in political landscapes uh, and even um, country ideologies trying to uh, disenfranchise or demoralize populations with, with uh, either disinformation or uh, counterinformation. So you have to be skeptical of what you see on the Internet and really question its legitimacy. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen stuff on Facebook where it was presented as fact, but it turns out to be fiction. And I've actually found that, done this myself where I shared an article that wasn't as accurate as it should have been, and I would delete it and say, that's my bad on that. So you have to be skeptical of information. The other two books, uh, The Hunger Games and Ender's Game, um, both were great series. I read Ender's Game in high school, and I actually found a copy of Ender's Game at Goodwill for one buck. Uh, in the, it might have been less than a book. It's a paperback copy. It's by Orson Scott Card, who is a North Carolina author based out of Greensboro. But there's a movie about it as well. And in Ender's Game, they are, like you said, running futuristic wars where they use children to teach them game theory. And they actually are playing a game that is actually controlling a battlefield where people, there are um, life consequences to it. And that is the, the spoiler for Ender's Game, uh, if you haven't seen it or watched it. And then lastly, Hunger Games um, is, you know, if you haven't seen that, it's a dystopian tale about how these societies uh, have to fight to the death in order to 
kind of keep the society at peace, you know. But uh, I think the reason why dystopian tales are interesting uh, and uh, and that we find enjoyment in, in reading about and learning about it because the, they, they are macabre and they draw our interest to that, but they're also a little prophetic and sent out as a warning. If we don't uh, maintain our humanity and respect for each other, this is what could happen. You know, we could devolve into doing something and wonder, you know, where do we go wrong? And there's a ton of books that follow that same theme. Um, the Giver is another one that I read and my kids had to read. And so um, I, I want to bounce real quick uh, to another topic uh, that you talked about. You brought up Bitcoin and money was uh, something I wanted to talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, we've gone through a, a significant evolution of money in my lifetime. Um, we We've actually gone through a couple different in my lifetime. We, we when I was born, we were just coming off the gold standard, and then we, we had the fiat standard, which is what we have now, uh, and we are in a future where cryptocurrency is is ever ever present. And there's a lot of skeptics out there. You know, there's a lot of people who uh, I I I'll say this. I said this to my dad. I said I believe that 98% of the planet is not involved in crypto or doesn't know any, anything about it or is not interested. But of the of the 2% that are, I believe that 98% of those people don't really understand it yet because it is a complicated subject. It requires deliberate study and thought. And uh, uh, the reason that it's appealing is because it's a non-sovereign currency, whereas now in our fiat standard, we have to rely on a government to provide money that is quickly, as evidenced by our current situation being inflated away. And so uh, the example I used this week in class was if we have a 5% inflation a year, which our current inflation rate that came out today is 6.8%. So if we have a 5% inflation rate a year, after 10 years, a $100 bill that you put under your mattress will only buy $50 worth of goods in 10 years. So that is a significant erosion of buying power, and it is a insidious robbing of people's energy that they expend to earn that money. And so the future of money has got to change uh, because we cannot remain on a fiat standard where it's able to be manipulated so easily by a handful of people who can push a button and create trillions of dollars that end up in the hands of elites. And uh, there's this contillion effect where once it trickles down to others, by the time it gets there, the price rises have already hit. And so it's basically you're dumping a, a, a bucket of water out of a boat, but it fills right back up before you can get that second bucket. And so you're constantly fighting that inflation, uh, and, and we just can't continue to, to do that. So what, what say you on that topic? Well, I agree with you, because if we go in the same direction, you know, inflation is 6.8, and you might be getting a 2.5% uh, raise every year. Right. You will lose that battle. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just figuratively. Eventually, you will have nothing. <laughs> right. Um, you, you won't be able to afford anything. I was looking at this Christmas coming up, and I always have a prime rib at Christmas, and I usually get an eight-pound prime rib. The cheapest I could find is so far is twelve ninety-nine a pound. Wow. What's a typical pound? Which means that prime rib that I... The, well, the, the what that means is the the prime rib that I bought last year for fifty two dollars is now going to be ninety five dollars. Wow, that's serious inflation. That's incredible, you know. And and I'm actually thinking of not doing that this year simply because of that. Yeah. 
Um, so I think it's, um, you know, um, money has to change. Um, government, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's tricky for me because I'm a new beginner with, especially with something like Bitcoin, but I have been involved for a couple of years with it and, and have read uh, a lot about it and a firm believer of, um, the non-sovereignty aspect of Bitcoin and how it's, um, it's, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, uh, I was reading the other day about gold and, and, um, you know, to, to cash in a hundred thousand dollars worth of gold, um, is going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars, right. not thousands of dollars in fees and, um, shipping and everything that has to be done with it. Um, where Bitcoin people are complaining, Oh, well, there's, there's 5% or something or, or two per two and a half percent or 2% chart. That's nothing compared to if you're dealing with gold, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose a lot more dealing with other things than say something like a cryptocurrency. And I think obviously that is the future. There's no doubt about it. Well, uh, because we're, we're going to advance and this, you know, and if you don't keep up with it, you're going to be archaic. I think, you know, just to bounce off what you said, I think in, in every technology <clears throat> innovation, there are the majority are going to be skeptics, you know, um, rewind the clock to 1921, you know, early Model T's. People would look at the Model T and say, why do I need that when I have a perfectly good horse and carriage? That makes no sense, right? And today, right. we look at people that drive horses and carriages and think, why are you still hung up on that? You know, we, you can get to and from where you need to go in a car very quickly. Um, but look at that and apply that same logic to money and cryptocurrency. Um, I'd, I'd, let me disclose that I don't believe in telling people what they should do with their money. I believe in telling people to research and do your own research and uh, be informed. Don't just listen to what uh, Bill and I have to say. But I have done hundreds, if not thousands of hours of reading, watching, listening on the topic and thinking on the topic of cryptocurrency. And after that time, I've determined that Bitcoin is a non-sovereign, scarce, um, digital store of value that's immutable, fungible, and could very well replace fiat currency in the future. It, will that happen? I have no idea. Do I think it's a, a better than zero possibility? Absolutely. It's a non, I mean, there's a non-zero chance that it could be a significant thing in the future. And so if you are an investor, which I consider myself to be, um, you should have a diverse portfolio that has you know, a little bit of a of assets that you feel comfortable investing in. And um, investing is all about the future. And so this, this episode is about the future. And when you make an investment, you're saying, I believe that by doing so, I will better my situation in the future. So when you invest in education, you're saying, I believe this education will help me in the future. When you invest dollars into stocks, into real estate, into cryptocurrency, into silver and gold, you're saying, I believe that that investment will pay me a dividend of something in the future. Just to speak to gold and silver real quick, because I am a, a fan of gold and silver. I've owned gold before. I did sell my gold uh, for Bitcoin, but that was my personal decision. Um, and I have been proven right so far, but that remains to be seen if I'll ultimately be proven right. But I still like silver. Uh, I think that is a, a fantastic store of value. The hang-up on silver is, though, um, every time I've bought silver and sold it, I've lost money every single time of my life. Um, but 
it allowed me to accumulate some wealth that I had on the side that I could liquidate to buy another resource or to invest uh, in something else. So having some silver has been a, a good thing for me and I still buy silver and I still like it. Um, but And gold and silver were stores of value and mediums of exchange for thousands of years. And so I think that humans will still cling to those as scarce resources that are stores of value and potentially mediums of exchange. But we have to look, we live in a digital age now. And so if we can recreate that in an online digital space, I think that is the next logical progression. So um, I, as far let me as, play the antagonist. Let me play an antagonist just Please. for a second. Go ahead. Because I have all my stores of salt in the cabinet. Yes. <laughs> Back in my beginning, uh, you know, salt was one time at one point a, a very big commodity. Yes. So I invested in Norton, Norton Salt. So I have like ten cases of Norton Salt, just in case it comes back. So it I just want to throw back. that out. It there. could come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, joking aside, uh, I don't consider myself to be a prepper, but I do believe in being prepared. And that being said. Commodities like spices, alcohol, uh, ammunition, things like that, in a societal collapse scenario, would prove valuable. I don't have big caches of these things. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm not a doomsday prepper. But as we saw in the pandemic, when scarcity kicks in and people have FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, and they make irrational decisions when they're emotional. And so for the first time in my life, I witnessed, you know, during a snowstorm, grocery stores sell out of some things. I witnessed grocery stores selling out of most things when I during the pandemic. I would go into Walmart and I would say, and I don't want to over-exaggerate, I would say 70% of the groceries in the grocery store part were sold out. That's a big, like you're looking for flour, you're looking for yeast, you're looking for cereals. I mean, shelf-stable products. A lot. I mean, entire, entire aisles of canned goods stripped, you know. And so, like, you know, uh, it's not a bad idea to be prepared for the future, uh, regardless of what the scenario is. So I advise all my students. In fact, um, uh, I'm not saying that I was prescient in this case, but when I heard about the pandemic, I sent out an email in February uh, before things got you know, kind of crazy and said, you need to take on a modest budget, go and buy some things to be prepared. I advise them to buy water. Uh, Raymond noodles and other, I had a short grocery list of how they can have a basic prep kit for 20, 25 bucks just to give them enough resources to last a week or so if they had to. And so that's, that's a good segue into uh, this, this question. I'm not necessarily ending on this, but I want to say, what are you looking forward to in the future? What, what is Bill looking forward to in the future? You're kind of blocking out on us. I'm sorry. Uh, the question was, what are what are you looking forward to in the future? Mm, what am I looking forward to? Yes. Um, gracious retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Well, what does that look um, like for Bill? Um, it doesn't look much different than the way things are now, to be right. quite honest. Gotcha. I can't see me stopping working um, at any time. Um, you know, even though I'm, I'm 61, am I 60 or 60? I 60. think you're 60, yeah. Um, I can't see myself stopping work anytime soon. So, but I think the future for me is to, um, gosh, that's such a profound question. 
I can tell you about everybody else but me. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, well, um, I hope, you know, I've been teaching death and dying this week because we're in the final class of our developmental class. And so I've thought about a lot about mortality. And I hope that I, um, that I'm able to exist and become more mindful. Um, I think I am becoming more aware of the moments versus worrying so much about the future. Um, I worry about other, you know, the next generation. Um, I, I think things will not be so progressive for me that I'll be at an age, you know, in 10 years or 70 years old where, you know, I can let the technology go. I, I'm not as invested in, in keeping up so much as, um, kind of just surviving. Um, the future for Bill is being more present. I that's, like that. that's, I think that's all I can really say. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go so far beyond that. Um, I do want to, I don't, I, I don't want to have a painful death. Um, uh, although the way uh, things go now, we very relatively, seldom have a really clean um, death score, say. Um, uh, very few of us die auto instantly. Um, and um, But my hope is that, that working in education, that we make it better for everybody else. Um, and I think that's why we teach, is because this is our next generation growing up. And I really care about the next generation. Um, I love to see change, uh, though, you know, I, not that I need to change, but I love to watch it happen in front of me, um, like the new fads and the new words, and the new things that we use. I think it's really a lot of people my age really dis, are disdained towards certain things in the, you know, with kids today and stuff like that. And I really, uh, I really embrace that with kids, their, their, their uniqueness and, uh, and understanding each individual is so different. Um, like you just mentioned earlier, our experiences are so different from each other. Um, but yet we can share moments together. And, um, you know, just because if we disagree, you're not my enemy. You know, you can be my friend still. And I think that's my message to all my students um, is to, you know, think and, you know, it's okay, you know, that we're different. And actually, it's great that we're different and embrace that we're different. Um, and I don't want us to come become a piece of machinery, a brick in the wall, sort of say. Right. I don't want to become that. And um, um, and so um, I don't know if that describes the future, but that's you're getting the thoughts right off the top of my head. Um, well, that's how I and, like it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I do have my worries. You know, um, my elderly, elderly mother, um, uh, me getting older, uh, making sure that I uh, can physically do things. Um, there are things that I can't physically do that I used to be able to do. And, um, uh, but I'm okay with that. Um, the one thing I want to see, I don't want to see go away is creativity. People writing novels, people making music, 
people creating art. Um, those those things, uh, I think we're kind of losing some sense of that. Even with education, we, we, we measure intelligence, but we don't, that doesn't measure a human being. A human being is much more than just intelligence. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, and I think maybe we can get to that point in the future where we can appreciate the artists, um, the creators, um, the creative people um, that think outside the box. It's, it's just, you know, that, that's what gets my juices going is that when someone really brings something up that's different, um, I like to embrace that. But I think as we get older, we tend to get more rigid in our thoughts. And um, uh, and I see that in the friends around me in, in that are my age. They get stuck. And um, in my future, I'm not, I don't want to get stuck. Man, I you, be you, there. You, you said exactly what I needed to hear. I, I, okay. right, as I was saying, I got cut off after an hour on the podcast, but we were picking up with another uh, segment real quick to wrap it up. But, you know, as Bill was talking, and I've known Bill for 10 years, he says something almost every conversation that's profound, and he tells me I say the same thing to him. So we're a good team where we kind of inspire each other, support each other, and mentor each other. And so it's uh, there's there's a lot to be said about finding a mentor in your life that can support you, that believes in you, that encourages you, whether that's a family member or friends. You need mentors in your life that, that stand up for you and believe in you. It's, it's such an important thing. And uh, when Bill was talking, I was thinking about diversity and, and uh, differences. He, he mentioned being different is beautiful. You know, I hate to bring up Star Trek one more time, but that's a message that I got from Star Trek is that it didn't matter if you were a Klingon, a black female, a white female, or another alien race. You were valued for the merit that you brought to the organization. You were valued by you as an individual. And people are valuable. They bring things to the world that are beautiful and they have value. And that's that's the message I want to leave leave you guys with is that you are a unique individual. You have value. Don't ever don't let, let anybody ever tell you otherwise. We have more in common than our differences. Even if you think about if I ask you to think about the person that would be the most, the biggest enemy of the United States and the people of the United States, we have so much in common with that person. We all want to get up in the morning, do good things, you know, eat a good meal, enjoy life with family and friends, take care of our children and family, provide for them, do good works, you know, and I love that you brought up the artist and the creator. There's something intrinsic that we cannot get away from as a society. We've got to continue that intrinsic activity of creating good things and i think technology has been a, a lever for that but can also be a barrier so uh, i have high hopes for the the coming generations and uh for the future for me i see i just want to continue to try to elevate everybody around me because if i can do that i also elevate myself and it's not a selfish thing but i have this intrinsic desire to elevate those around me and it and it i find that that does elevate me as well so bill once again, I've enjoyed our time together and talking, and I hope uh, to send this out in a little bit, and I hope people respond well to it. Um, if people have comments, do you want me to uh, provide your email? or That's up to you. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. I'll put Bill's email in the comments, and uh, you can uh, reach out to Bill or myself. We're happy to, to offer you some feedback or would love to hear from you. 
But Bill, I wish you a Merry Christmas, my, my friend, and let's get lunch together real soon, okay? We'll do that, sir. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Appreciate Talk to you, you soon. Yes, sir. All right. Bye. Okay.